Bibles, and if you do not have a worship guide, we'd like to put one in your hands. It'll help you to follow along with the message. If you just raise your hand and keep it up, we have a couple ushers here who will get that to you. Anyone who needs a worship guide. All right. Um, I want to introduce you to someone this morning. I have a picture, and let's go ahead and see that picture. That right there is my granny. Now, the uh, baby in the picture, I can't tell you who it is because I don't want to embarrass my daughter. But the, uh, the lady in the middle holding the baby is my granny. And Granny Flowers, she grew up not far from here, Mount Ida. And uh, born, raised in Mount Ida. When she graduated high school, she went to college. In college, she married a young man who was a preacher. And they went to a little outside Mobile, Alabama, and he pastored there for decades until they died. It was just a small little country church, but it was, they were such a blessing. Now, my granny, she is famous for three things. One is her potato salad. Nobody made potato salad like my granny made potato salad. Now, I'm sure there's some wonderful cooks here, but I'm sorry. The best you can do is second place because she holds the record for the best potato salad. By the way, I just want to clarify something in Scripture. That real potato salad, folks, is made with mustard. It is bright yellow, and uh, it has relish in it. Hey, I'll preach the truth whether you like it or not. And, uh, uh, And sure enough, she made this amazing, amazing potato salad. She was also well known forgiving what we called granny hugs. You know, she would give hugs, but, you know, I tend to be a silent hugger. Well, my granny, she'd hug you, and she'd put her face right next to your face, and she'd go, mm-hmm, something like that when she hugs you, and, and it just helped you to feel even more loved. And she also had a beautiful, beautiful singing voice, although she wouldn't admit it. She, she learned music old school style, shape notes. She could only play shape notes. And uh, she was a church pianist and would sing. And every time we visit her, I'd say, Granny, you got to sing because he lives. And she would sing it. Oh, man, would she sing that? And uh, make Bill Gaither envious how she would sing. It was a blessing uh, uh, to us, no doubt. Granny today is um, suffering from late-stage dementia. Um, she's barely coherent. She doesn't recognize anyone. She's a long time ago had to live in a facility that can help her. And dementia has robbed this world of a godly lady, of a wonderful potato salad, of a great voice. And I hate dementia. My uh, mother-in-law, maybe you met her when she was here about two or three months ago, and uh, she sat in the back in a wheelchair. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease over two decades ago. And... She was an avid soul winner, amazing soul winner, beautiful pianist. And those fingers that played the piano now curled up because of the disease, can't even open to grab things hardly. I've seen slowly as she's through the years lost her mobility. I hate Parkinson's disease. As a young pastor, a young youth pastor, and just a few years out of Bible college, and I got to know a man who about the age I am right now, and he was uh, just one of those salt-of-the-earth guys. His name was Sean, and Sean was a family man. He, he was a hard worker, just an awesome Christian. Sean went to the doctor one day. The doctor was concerned, and 
ran further tests and said, Sean, you have cancer. And it was just a few months later that Sean was in the hospital bed down to about 100 pounds. And I was there with Sean as he took his last breath. And I remember driving home, and the duty fell to me to talk to his children and to sit down with kids about the age of my kids now and to say, Jesus decided to take your daddy home today. And the pain and the anguish, I think that's the first time that I really hated cancer. I hate the fact that our church prayer list is filled with names of people with sickness and illness and disease and words like terminal and malignant. But I love the fact. I love the fact, as the verse we read a few moments ago says, that although the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. I love the fact that no matter what happens to our bodies, as believers, none of that has to affect what God has done in our spirits through Jesus Christ. And although we may even lose the war to sicknesses in our life, we have the victory through Jesus Christ. The title of today's message is Broken Temples, Mended Hearts. Broken temples, mended hearts. I'm borrowing some imagery from the Bible, uh, some illustrations from the Bible. The Bible uses the example of the, a temple to describe the body of a believer. The, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So today, when I speak of broken temples, what I'm referring to is our outward body that is prone to sickness, that's prone to disease, that is prone to breaking down and wearing down. And if Jesus Christ tarries, a body that will die one day. But the Bible also uses an imagery called the heart. And, and today, I just want to keep it very simple. So um, when I refer to the heart... We know the Bible is referring to our, our organ that pumps in our chest. But we're going to use it to represent our spiritual nature. The fact that we are saved, our spiritual walk with God, the part of us that's growing to be like Jesus every day. And the truth of the matter is this, is that even though our bodies get sick and our bodies sometimes have pain and our bodies even die, the spiritual man, our hearts can grow and should grow through that. God often uses broken temples to mend hearts. He often uses sicknesses and aching and failing bodies to grow his people spiritually. So it's my goal today that we as believers, we unleash the incredible opportunity we have to glorify God that is disguised as sickness and disease and illness. So before we get into this, I have three introductory thoughts that will help launch this. And the first is this. Uh, all temples are broken. All temples are broken. Uh, there's a universal nature to the fact that we face disease. So I won't have us raise our hands today, but I imagine that if I had everyone today raise their hand who either they or someone they love has cancer or diabetes or dementia or something of that sort, nearly every hand would be raised in here. It's a universal part of our nature. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, this perfection that God created all of a sudden changed. And the Bible says, the day ye eat thereof, uh, ye shall surely die. Part of what that death was is our DNA, if you will, became corrupt with this fact that we will die and we will get sick. And we have that today. The Bible never says that if you're a believer, you never get sick. The Bible never says that, hey, if you follow me, I'll, I'll take all your sicknesses away. Now, thank God that he can and he does. But for many people, that's not the story. 
And the fact is, is that uh, you, you, no matter what happens, eventually we do face this thing called death. You can try everything to keep your body young. You can take every multivitamin you want. You can take all the shakes you want. You can do P90X and Pilates and hot yoga and prancercise and, and whatever else it is that, that helps you to get going. But in the end, at best, you'll be the healthiest, most fit corpse in the grave. It's a losing battle. So the first truth is this, that all temples are broken. And I, and I say this today not to discourage us because here's what scripture does. It faces the cold, hard facts that we live in these bodies that are broken, but it gives us strength through that. And that's what we're going to look at today. And you might be here today and say, hey, I'm perfectly healthy and everybody knows perfectly healthy. This isn't for me. Well, I, just look at the statistics and the odds are you or someone you love will go through health difficulties in your life. It's, it's just a fact of life. The second thing is this. Broken temples are fodder to mend hearts. Broken temples are broken bodies. That is the substance that God uses to build us spiritually. Now, I'm going to look at two references here in Scripture. I want to make something really clear. The first one we're going to look at, it's a time that Jesus used sickness to point out sin in someone's life. Now, I am by no means saying that people get sick because of sin. I'm not saying that you're sick today because of sin in your life. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that in this instance, Jesus Christ built the spiritual man by revealing sin in his life through sickness. Although his body, his temple was broken, the inner man gained strength because of this. And by the way, maybe we should remind ourselves that the most loving thing that God can ever do is to reveal sin in our lives. When God reveals sin, it's God being merciful and gracious to us. So let's look at this passage. This is in Mark chapter number 2 and verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. You might be familiar with this story. Jesus heals the man, but when he heals the man, he says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically that he was sick because of that. But somehow his sickness brought him to repentance, to where he sought forgiveness. And Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, says, your sins have forgive, are forgiven. Now, isn't that amazing how God takes a broken body and does a spiritual work in that man? Here's another passage, John chapter number 9 and verse number 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man... Uh, which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So you see what's happening here. They're saying, oh, he's blind. There must be sin in his life. And what does Jesus say? Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Isn't that great? Jesus is saying his body is broken, and God is using that to show God's goodness through that man's life. And the point I'm trying to make today is this, that broken temples, sickness, illness, and pain often become the tool that God uses to do great things in the life of his people. But that's not always the case. Broken temples are the fodder to mend hearts, but that's not always the case. And those of you who you struggle with illness in your life, or maybe you're a caretaker for someone who's ill, you know that the thing about our bodies breaking down is that often there's that temptation to allow it to affect our spirit and our attitude. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to doubt God or even become bitter against God. And we find an example of that in the book of Job, chapter number 2. If you recall, in Job chapter 1, Job loses everything. And when Job loses everything, he understands. 
He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He says, God, you could kill this body, but the inward man's going to love you and trust you and never turn from you. However, Job had a wife, and, and she struggles in chapter number two as she's watching her husband go through all these things. And no doubt has pain in her own life. She says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And so the point is this, is if you're ill today or you know someone who's ill, you're sick today, you know someone who's sick. I think of the host of people in our church who we pray for and we love who struggle day in and day out. And some of you, you, it was a chore to be here today. It was pain to be here today. You weren't sure if you're going to make it. You, You stumbled in, you made it here. And let me tell you something, God is giving you and God is giving us an opportunity to grow the inward man through the pain that our bodies and your bodies face. God can and God does heal bodies. Yet for most who are sick, God desires to give a greater victory. He chooses to refine us through the fires of pain and sickness to reveal the pure gold of God's sustaining grace in our life and the life of those around us. So today we're going to look through John 11. And as we look at this, I I want you to personalize this. It's a passage that focuses on Jesus speaking to friends of his as they were going through sickness and even death. And these words that Christ has for them, I believe that they're universal words that God has for all of his people. I think you could personalize it and say, these are the same words that Jesus would say to me were he here today to speak to me. Our story is quite long and I'm going to just skip around in the verses, but I do want you to follow along with me the best you can. We're going to start in verse number one. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it it was that Martha which anointed the Lord with oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse three, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. We read here, did Jesus hate Lazarus? Yes or no? No, in fact, the passage is very clear, and it'll say again, Jesus loved Lazarus. And isn't it funny how that the temptation in our life is when we go through sickness is automatically re-examine our relationship with God. Does God care? Does God know? Does God really love me? Does he love me as much as the person who is well? Does he love me as much as those around me? We read right here that Jesus was close to Lazarus and Mary and Martha and loved them. Verse 4, he says this, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is in another town. He hears that his close friend is sick and on, on, on the point of death. We find he eventually does die. And Jesus stays two more days. Now think about this for a moment. What if right now you needed an ambulance, right? You call 911 and the dispatcher says somebody's on their way. And oh, about an hour and a half, two hours later, all of a sudden, the, uh, the paramedics show up. I mean, you'd kind of want an explanation, right? What happened? Oh, well, you, you see, we were driving uh, down the road. We saw that the ice cream shop had a sale going on. And we thought, hey, we need some ice cream. And we got out. We got in line. The line was kind of long. But we got all the way through it. And now we're here to help you. You'd be pretty mad about that, right? And can you see maybe why, why there might be some misunderstanding when Jesus, he knows Lazarus is sick. And, and, but he doesn't come. He doesn't even leave for two more days. And on our perspective, we could say, well, Jesus' timing was really off. Kind of like how a lot of us say about our health problems and our unanswered prayer. 
It's like, Jesus, where are you? It seems like, hey, I've called and it's been my two days and you haven't shown up. Let's trust Jesus that he knows what he's doing. Verse number 14. Then said Jesus unto them plainly. Jesus is out on his way there. He speaks to his apostles and says, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse number 23. And Jesus said, speaking to Martha, Lazarus' sister, Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Verse number 32. And when Mary, this is the other sister, was come, before, where, uh, was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Verse number 32. I'm sorry, verse number 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. It's an amazing story, and it's a story that speaks to us today. It gives us four truths, four thoughts about how God uses our broken temples to mend hearts. The first truth is this. A broken temple is not an end, but a beginning. A broken temple is not an end, but a beginning. I want you to notice verse number four. When Jesus heard that, hearing that Lazarus was sick, he says this, this this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. This sickness is not unto death. Now, wait a second. We read the passage later on, and we read that Lazarus died. So maybe Jesus was misinformed about, it was, about this sickness being unto death. Maybe Jesus didn't know this sickness was unto death. Maybe Jesus made a mistake. No, no, he made no mistake. He said exactly what he meant. Let me rephrase that for a moment. This sickness is not for the purpose of death. This sickness is not to the end that is death. This sickness has a greater purpose, a greater meaning than that Lazarus will die. Now, wait a second. Did Lazarus die, yes or no? Okay. Now, reading the passage, deriving from the passage of Scripture, how many of you got the impression that at least somewhere along the line, Lazarus died? Would you raise your hand? Okay. You you did much better than the first service. That's great. Give yourself a hand. Yeah. Yes, he dies. But what Jesus is saying is not that Lazarus would not die. He's saying this sickness has a greater purpose, a greater calling than death. Now, I hate to say this, but if you're an unbeliever today, this doesn't apply to you. Because the human nature, the human state is this. Without Christ, it is unto death. That is the end. The wages of sin is death. Because we are sinners, death is the end. 
But for believers, folks, it's completely different. This is not for the purpose of death. The end game is not death. It's kind of like this. On the cross, Jesus Jesus defeated the greatest enemy, the greatest physical enemy, when he defeated death. And when Jesus defeated death, he now holds the keys to life and death. And because of that, death's little brother, sickness and illness, they hold no match for Jesus Christ. We have the victory that is found in Christ. And broken temples are not an end, they're a beginning. Now we can look at it one of two ways. We can look at broken temples as being the end of a comfortable life. I'm sick, and that's the end of comfort in life. I'm ill, and that's the end of carefree living. It's the end of peace of mind. Because of all the hospital bills and medical bills, it's the end of financial freedom. It's the end of being whole and being complete. We can look at it as being the end of looking fondly toward the future. We can look at it as being the end of hopes and dreams of tomorrow. We can look at this as being the end of usefulness and happiness and joy. The end, the end, the end. Or we can say through Christ it's the beginning. It's the beginning of the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. It's the beginning of unsinkable joy from the spirit that physical pain cannot tarnish. It's the beginning of peace that passes understanding. It's the beginning of a renewed faith and a strengthened faith in him who holds tomorrow. It's the beginning of a new chapter in bringing glory to God. It's the beginning of clarity as to what really matters in life. It's the beginning of a heart that's softened toward God and ears that are open to the still, small voice of the Spirit. It's the beginning of a new forbearance, a new courage to pick up my cross and to bear it and to follow him. It's the beginning of a deeper worship that's forged on the crucible of brokenness. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as believers, we're not defined by our lifespan. We're not defined by whether viruses and bacteria have invaded our bodies. We're not defined by genetic mutations. We're not defined by torn ligaments and twisted bones. We're not defined by our brain function and our heart function and our kidney function and our liver function. We are defined by the purpose for what God made us, how we glorify Him and how we honor Him and how we praise Him. That's what defines us. This sickness is not unto death. Wait a second, Jesus. Lazarus has died. And Jesus said, no, there's something bigger here. I have a greater plan here. There's something greater I want to do. And that's what the story is all about. There's a second thing. A broken temple gives more than it takes. A broken temple gives more than it takes. In verse 4, we see how that Jesus is saying, I'm taking away Lazarus' health and even his life, but I'm giving more glory to God as I do. But we see that that's not the only instance. In verse number 11, Jesus is speaking to his apostles. And in verse 15, he tells them that Lazarus is dead and says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, Lazarus had his health taken away, but you are gaining faith. We find a similar dynamic playing out with Lazarus' two sisters as they believe in Christ in a new way and a stronger way. We see the mourners who are gathered around as they see the compassion and the love for Jesus and their faith in Christ grows. And here's what we see. We see the power of the gospel, the power of the cross to take something that's temporary 
and ultimately broken, our bodies. The Bible says that they're like grass that withers away. And through the cross, God takes broken bodies and creates eternal growth in the people of, of God. He takes the broken body of Lazarus and builds the faith of apostles. He takes something that's temporary and does something that's eternal. And you might be here today and say, I feel like God's taking all these things away from me. Hey, let's open our eyes and look around and look at what God's giving you in his place. And I have a feeling you're going to find that the things he's giving you are things that are eternal. Things that money can't buy. Things that you can never get on your own. Because of his goodness and grace, he has bestowed those upon us. You know, there's two ways you can look at the feeding of the 5,000. You could say that that story is a story about how Jesus took the lunch from a little boy. I mean, here's this little boy, and he has his five loaves and two fish, and Jesus just takes away his lunch. Or it could be the story of how Jesus takes something small and breaks it and feeds multitudes. And there are 12 baskets left over. He takes something small and broken and feeds many. In a lot of ways, that illustrates some of you today. You struggle with sickness. and We pray for you. We love you. And, and we, we do all we can as a church. But can I tell you, you may feel that God's taken something away. But if you'll let him, this is what God's doing. He's taking our life that's temporary in nature anyway. And he's breaking it. And he's feeding multitudes. Our church is a better church because of how God is using you through your sickness. Our church is stronger and grows because of how God is using you. And you may go through the sickness and feel like it's taking things away, but it is not. I've seen that happen in my own life. I have a hero. Her name is Jane. I had the privilege of pastoring Jane for several years. Jane is in her 70s. She can barely get around. If she is getting around, she has a cane or one of those little motorized scooters. Jane was stricken with polio at a young age. If you see her walk, one of the first things you'll notice is that her, uh, her left shoe is a, has a sole that's about three or four inches tall to compensate for the twisted hips and the twisted bones. And even with that, she has a hard time walking. One of the godliest, sweetest Christians you've ever met. Spent her whole life teaching Sunday school classes, loving people. Never hear a complaint out of her. A few years back, Jane's husband... Uh, his heart function deteriorated incredibly. His heart was only functioning about 30 to 40 percent as as a healthy person. He was not strong enough for a transplant. The doctors said, we wanted to give you basically a mechanical heart. Very dangerous procedure, especially for a man in his health condition. They went to Chicago and and it was, he was in the hospital for at least six months. About three of those months, he wasn't even conscious and on the brink of life and death. And I got to know Jane pretty well. We sat in a lot of waiting rooms. And I found that her love for God was not just a superficial love for God. I found the joy was not just something that she put on on Sundays. I found out it went all the way to the bone. She loved Jesus. She trusted Jesus. I was there the day when the surgeon had finished operating on Dan. It was a long and extensive surgery. And he spoke with Jane afterwards and Spoke very soberly, looked her right in the eye and said, your husband barely survived the surgery. I don't expect him to survive the next seven days of recovery. And, you know, as the doctor said that, my heart broke. 
tears came to my eyes, and I look at Jane next to me. You know, I'm supposed to be the comfort to her. I see this resolution in her face. And she says, you know, Jesus has taken care of me up until now. And I just figure he'll take care of me the rest of the way as well. And you know, that was a day that God broke a body of another man. But God built up my heart and my spirit. I like to think that the next, when I face those things in my life, that some of what Jane and Dan taught me is there. It will strengthen me as well. By the way, it shouldn't surprise us that our Lord does this. We memorialize the Lord's Supper. Where Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He's saying, my physical body is broken so that you can benefit. And is it any surprise to us that sometimes he calls his people to mirror that same sacrifice. To say, I'm going to break your body. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. And it's going to bring fear into your life. But I'm doing that. I want you to see that I'm not taking things away. I'm just breaking you and feeding multitudes. And people will be stronger because of you. People's faith will grow because of you. People will love me because of you. I like to think that because of dementia and, and my granny who's in a home right now, I like to think that I love people more. That I'm more forbearing. That I show more of Christ in my life. I'd like to think that because of a, a, a lady that's confined to a wheelchair because of Parkinson's disease, that my wife's love for God and love for life has increased. I'd like to think of a man named, because of a man named Sean who had cancer that I hugged my kids a little bit tighter. I'd like to think that because of that, because of the cross, what God has taken has been multiplied many times over and giving us things in return. We've all had loss. We've all know people who have been sick. We all know people who have even, who God's even taken home. Have you seen, though, what God's given in his place? Yes, God took things away, but God's giving as well. And let today be the day that we determine that, God, yes, you took that away. Yes, you took away health. Yes, you took away loved ones. Yes, you took all these things away. But, God, by your grace, this world's going to be a better place. Because of your grace, I'm going to love people more. I'm going to serve people more. I'm going to make my life count. I'm going to let me be one of the beneficiaries of their brokenness to this world around me that they may see your good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. The third truth we find here is that a broken temple is only a broken temple. Boy, I like this. You see, I think most of us realize that we're more than bodies. When we die, our bodies die, but we don't die, we exist. If you're a believer, you exist in heaven eternally. If you're not a believer, the Bible says you exist in a place called hell. But the bottom line is this, is that our bodies are not all of what we are, or even the essence of what we are. It's just a part of what we are. And when God allows sickness and disease in our life, it only has to affect our bodies. This is what I mean. It doesn't have to make us discouraged. A sick body does not mean that our faith in God diminishes. A sick body does not necessarily mean that my praise of the Lord has to change. A sick body doesn't mean that my love for others has to change. And, and today, I, I just want to plead with those who you are dealing with illness. You're at a, a turning point in your life 
where it's either going to make you love God more and show the world the genuine nature of your love, or it's going to be something that can become a bitterness in your life and a defeat in your life, but it only has to affect your body. Verse number 25 of our passage, it's, it's interesting if you notice how it's worded. Verse 24, Mary says that, Jesus in verse 23, let me go back to 23, Jesus says he's going to rise again. And Mary says unto him, I know that he shall, future tense, rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Mary's saying, oh, Jesus, you're talking about the resurrection. I know that one day that's going to happen. And Jesus says, Mary, let me let you in on something. I am, present tense, right now, the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He's saying, Mary, I want you to know that the resurrection that I have for Lazarus and all my people, it's not only something that will happen one day. He says, I'm the resurrection right now. Does that mean that everyone who dies, Jesus rises from the dead? No, this is what it means. It means when believers face death, we find death has already been defamed. We find that Jesus Christ gives us this resurrection now, this victory now. In other words, he has already resurrected our broken and our corrupt hearts. And he's given us a new nature in Christ. Instead of a nature that hated God and wanted to run from God, he's given us a desire to love him and to follow him. And the end result of that internal resurrection is that when we die, we'll have an external resurrection too. The resurrection of what Christ has already done in our hearts will overflow and will permeate every part of our being. Our bodies have to rise because he's already resurrected our hearts. And think about this. If illness wins and dies and shortens our life. In the end, it still loses. In the end, we still have the victory because it cannot touch our soul. We die and we go to heaven and Jesus is there and he meets us at the gate and he wraps his arms around us and welcomes us into the kingdom. And there following us is disease. And Jesus says, wait a second. This is my kingdom. You're not welcome here, disease. And we see pain coming, following us in. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's no pain coming into my place. And we see sickness and disease and illness and all these things. And Jesus says, this is my place. I hold the keys of life and death and you shall not pass. It's over. There's no more pain allowed for my children. We win in the end. As we look at these truths that Jesus teaches us about these broken bodies, there's one that might be the most important, and that's this. Jesus cares. We don't get a picture of a Savior who simply says, I want you to go through this for my glory, so be a good soldier and march on. We see a compassionate Savior who cares. Verse number 33 When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, he has already indicated that he's going to rise, that Lazarus will rise from the dead. Jesus is not weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping because he sees their pain. He's troubled. He's groaning. 
And maybe that's a good instruction for those of us as a church, as gospel-like church. When people are going through pain and difficulty in their life, maybe we don't have to be the people who have all the answers. Maybe we don't have to be the people who say, I know why God's doing this in your life. Maybe we need to follow the example of our Savior and just weep with those who weep. Say, I know you're hurting and you're broken. And I want to bear that burden with you. Jesus probably would have been justified to rebuke them for their lack of faith that he would rise, that Lazarus would rise from the dead. He probably could have said, oh, ye of little faith, but we don't see that. We see in verse number 35, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. They misinterpreted. They think, oh, Jesus is weeping because of Lazarus. He's not weeping because of Lazarus. He's weeping because of a sister who's crying and another sister who's weeping and friends who are mourning and the hopelessness in Christ's heart is broken and he weeps for them. I just want to say this to our church. Maybe you're somebody who you struggle to get here on Sundays because your body sometimes doesn't let you. You're not as faithful as you'd like to be. Maybe you sometimes feel like, hey, you know, I don't have a whole lot I can do for the church. I mean, I'm on a fixed income. I can't give a whole lot. I'm lucky to make it two out of three Sundays. My voice is shot. My mind is even worse. What can I do? Let me tell you what you can do. You could be the broken temple at men's hearts. You could be the one that teaches those of us around you about the power of Jesus Christ that even though our outward man does perish, our inward man is renewed. You can be the one that guides us and teaches us in those ways to be an example of what Christ is. There are too many people as they face illness and sickness and disease and even death, they're defeated by it. It leads to discouragement. It leads to doubting God where it can be something that grows us in grace. Don't waste your brokenness. Don't waste your brokenness. Today, let's let today be the day. That whether we are ill, we're sick, we know someone who is, we have brothers and sisters of Christ in this very room who are facing serious illness, let's let today be the day that we say, by God's grace, Disease and sickness and illness will not define us. We're made for more than that. And although sickness and disease may win the battle, and may even kill the body in Christ, we will win the war. Our faith will grow. We'll bless others because of how God uses us. We'll love more like Christ loved. We'll depend on him. And in the end, we will loudly declare his grace is sufficient. The reason disease doesn't win and sickness doesn't win is not because of the triumph of the human spirit. The state of humanity is we lose in the end. But because of the cross, all that's different. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated every enemy and even death and sickness and disease are in submission to him. And today, my heartbeat is for today, believers who are suffering, 
and ill. And those who are in our church, let us be people who encourage them and strengthen them because we need them. We need to see what it looks like when people face the worst of life with the joy of Jesus on their face. We need to see what it's like to have faith that can't be shaken by bad news from a doctor. We need that. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your head and close your eyes. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether it's a 